All right, Exodus chapter 6, the gospel according to Moses, the gospel according to Moses. Last week, I preached the gospel from Isaiah, and this Sunday, from Exodus and from Moses. Reading this morning, I'm reading verse, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, but I'm only preaching verses 6 through 9. So if you look in the text there, Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai, God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Verse 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord, the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. I pray that verse 9 will not be true of you. Verse 9, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Why not? Because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of, this, out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then? <laughs> He's like, people of Israel, your people haven't listened. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel, out of the land of Egypt. Now, there's a lot in here for the Christian, for sure. There's certainly there. There's here for the unconverted as well, this gospel message. But just in case you might miss it as a Christian this morning, sometimes you don't comprehend what's going on because the circumstances you're in cloud your vision. So, difficult circumstances calls you to ask questions like, what is God doing? 
Is God doing anything? Is there a God? Christians ask things like this when the circumstances are bad enough. But I just want you to understand this passage. God says, this is what I will do. They go into slavery for some 400 years. We have a difficulty if things are bad for half a day. On year 365, somebody's saying, I wonder if there's a God. Right? You know, after 365 years of slavery, you're like, God said he would deliver, but I'm thinking there's some people like not believing it anymore because it hadn't happened yet. But in the midst of 360, I don't know why I'm picking 365, but in the midst of 365 years, even at that point, what God said is still true. He is the Lord, and you can still trust him. All right. Now, as we look at this this morning, dark times, heavy bondage, severe oppression are the realities of humanity, but God is still sovereign. Verse 1, you see, you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. You will see it. This is a statement of God's sovereignty. No matter what Pharaoh does, no matter how much power he does, I'm going to tell you what he's going to do because I'm sovereign over him. Moses had declared, this is strange, but Moses himself had declared up to this point, God, you haven't done anything. You say, where did Moses say that? The last verse of chapter 5. Look at the last verse of chapter 5. Moses says, For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And then he says this to God. You, God, have not delivered your people at all. Can you imagine the accusation here? Moses saying to God, God, this is my East Texas redneck, you ain't done diddly squat. You ain't done nothing. You said this and you did nothing. Nothing. At this point, as brings us to chapter 6, God reminds Moses, I have not forgotten my covenant. I know what my covenant is. I'm the one who made it, and I have not forgotten it. That's in verses 2 through 5 of chapter 6. He reminds him of the covenant. Moses is having doubts about how God's going to save his people And here's all the reassurance. You you want a book, you want 12 steps to recovery, 6 steps to a better life, 40 days to a better purpose, all this stuff. Here's what Moses gets. Four words. This is all you need to know. I am the Lord. That's it. You don't need a book. You don't need some self-improvement plan. What you need is a right view of the God of heaven. I am the Lord, no matter what your circumstance may be, you can trust me. Here's the world, and we can go off all these descriptions of how terrible our world is, and we can get caught up in all of that, and all of that may be true, but don't get so clouded in the circumstantial evidence of the world you live in that your eyes are clouded not to see the sovereignty of a holy God who is reigning as king over all things. Dear child, look up. 
Look up and see him there, seated in absolute sovereignty, controlling all things and say, there is my king. Four times in eight verses. Verse 2, verse 7, verse 8. Verse 2, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8. I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. God's self-disclosure, God revealing Himself, is the primary way of relieving all your doubts. The primary way to have your doubt removed is to have a right vision of the Lord. The plan of God's salvation from beginning, middle, and end is based entirely upon those four words, I am the Lord. Throughout the battle between Moses and Pharaoh, if you want to call it a battle, looks like one for sure, we have to establish this, but the inability of Moses to deliver the people becomes plain. He can't pull it off. Moses can't in his own strength. You, you look at, if you look at Exodus correctly, it reveals that any deliverance that's going to be attained is going to be because of who God is. Now, family, work, health, fear, evil, everything that plagues your mind and heart actually and really is remedied. remedied, remedied anybody? Help me. That word? I can't even say it in Spanish. Look. It's fixed with a right view of the Lord. Right? Is it right? Then I dare say you don't need psychotropic drugs to help your depression. I dare say you don't need Christian counseling from the professionals. I dare to say you need a right view of God through the revelation of His Word to satisfy you in the circumstance you're in, whatever that circumstance is. I present to you that Christ is sufficient for whatever is going on in your life. That there's no one else that can help you through this but Christ cling to Him. A right view of the self-defining God is the only way to obtain a right theology and to live by a right doctrine. All right. Point number one is very short. Point number, point number two is very long. Point number one, I am the Lord. Assurance. I'm just going to give you bullet statements. We'll move on through this to get to point number two. But in, in the sense of I am the Lord, here's your assurance. And this list could go on. All genuine rest is attainable because of who God is. All freedom is attainable because of who God is. All hope is attainable because of who God is. Now, there's a twist on this one, but understand it has to do with being in the family of God. But all family inclusion is attainable because of who God is. All promises are realized, experienced, because of who God is. All of these things because of God, not the ingenuity or wisdom of man. A couple of things of application to this phrase, I am the Lord. These things Moses learns through experience. Trial and error, failures and successes, hard times and good times. Through all the events of life, Moses learns who God is. 
Include yourself. Bad days, good days. Things work, things don't work. Hard times, easy times. Joyful times, crying times. Through all the experiences of the Christian life, this is what I'm learning. I'm learning who God is. That's what I need to learn. Moses later, by the writer of Hebrews, reveals this to us, and we get this right view. In Hebrews chapter 11, this is what's going on in Moses in all of this book. In Hebrews eleven twenty four, he says this, by faith, by faith, Moses, this is how we live, by faith, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, circumstantial situation is difficult, and he makes a decision, he refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm not going to identify with the pagans. I'm not going to be with them. I'm going to choose rather to identify with the people of God, and I'm going to choose to be mistreated rather than to be treated with favor. Why would he do that? Because of faith. Because of faith. So he's going to be mistreated with the people of God. He says he would rather do that than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. How could Moses do that? What is his faith? He considered the reproaches of Christ. Moses, in Exodus, considering the reproach of Christ as a greater treasure than everything Egypt has to offer. How does he do that? He says, he was looking for a reward. I'm looking for a reward that lasts. I'm looking for something tangible where moth and rust do not deteriorate or destroy. I'm looking for something of eternal value. So by faith, he says, Egypt, I'm gone. Not being afraid of the anger of the king. He endured. Moses endured. How? As seeing him who is invisible. How do you see he who is invisible? By faith. He looked to Christ. I pray that you will learn and experience through your life who God is. Reading the Word, responding to Christ in faith. Oh, it's a long story. We shall make it short. I was sitting on a curb in the middle of the summer in July 1997, Dumas, Texas, with a transmission in a Dodge, Jason, in a Dodge, blown up. I have no cell phone, I have no credit card, and I have no money, and my wife and little kids are sitting on the curb, hungry, with nowhere to go, and nobody to call. It's an experience. And I learned through a swimming pool and some donuts that God's faithful. There's a lot to that story. But God saw us through. Through all the experiences of life, circumstances, don't miss what's going on. Stop dwelling so much on the circumstance you miss. God's doing something. He's trying to show you who He is. 
Stop trying to figure out who you are in a sense. He's trying to show you himself. Because if you get a hold of God and see who he is, it'll answer all the circumstantial evidence. And you'll say, goodbye, Egypt. I'm looking for a reward that will not fade away. Point number two. Point number two is, I will. Seven I wills of the Lord are verses six through nine. Six through nine. You'll see them there. We'll couple a couple of these together, and so we'll end up with about four points out of seven I wills. You see, beginning in verse 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, here's your first I will. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Second, I will deliver you from slavery to them. So we take both of those two I wills and we call them deliverance. The people were under a great burden. So all my references are before this text. In Exodus, there's a few re- references, but they're all before this point. So listen to them. Exodus 1.11, therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Exodus 2.11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. Exodus 5, verse 4 and 5, but the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burden. Know this, every lost man, every lost woman in the world are under a burden. There's a weight upon them, and this weight upon them is the sin of their own heart. The people are also not only under burden, they're under slavery. Slavery. Exodus 1.14. He made their lives bitter with hard service, mortar, brick, all kinds of work in the field. On all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. You don't like to hear the word slavery in modern day America, but we're dealing with the Bible here. These people were slaves under taskmasters. Exodus 2, 23, during those many days the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel began groaned because, why were they groaning? Their slavery. And in the midst of slavery, what are they doing? They cry out for help. They cry, rescue us from slavery. This, this cry came up to God. Exodus 2, 23 says, rescue from slavery. Exodus 5, 11, let Pharaoh says, let heavier work be laid on the men that, they're la- that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Go, get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. Burden and slavery were the lot of the people of Israel for over 400 years. Now, I know and understand that they get it. These people understand their predicament. They understand the burden. 
the heat of the day, working seven days a week under a cruel taskmaster that does not love them and does not care about them. They understand their plight. They also understand their slavery. They don't get vacations. They don't get time off for good behavior. They don't get to go over here and go over there and do their little hobby. They only get to do whatever the taskmaster tells them to do. They feel their burden. They realize their slavery, their condition. Understand in our world, those two things are true of every lost man, woman, boy, girl, child are true, just that many of them don't realize it like these did. The great thing would be to happen for a lost man or a lost woman would be to say, I've got a burden and I need to get rid of it. I'm tired of serving the devil and the world and all of this carnality, and I need somebody that can deliver me. If they could ever realize their burden and their slavery, it's at that point they might say, is there a deliverer? Is there someone that can help me? The truth of it is, is just like these though, a burden and slavery. They needed deliverance. And I would say to you, look, turn real quick. Eh, we, don't, we don't have time, but let's do it anyways. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 6. Just, just, just see these verses right quickly. The same thought, not shifting thoughts. What, what, what then? Uh, Romans six fifteen. what then? Are we, to, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves? You are slaves of the one you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness... So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, <coughs> leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, notice, you have become slaves of God. You're a slave either way. You're a slave to the devil, the world, and the carnal flesh, or you're a slave to God. But what's the great difference here? There's a vast difference between masters. When you become a slave of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Old Testament, New Testament, the exact same layout, slavery, burden, the need of deliverance. The beginning work of salvation is deliverance. Deliverance, deliverance from a burden. The burden is sin. Deliverance from slavery. Slavery is bondage. And so, I don't know if you're feeling the weight and the reality of the truth of all this, but when or if you do... Then when you hear something like this, something in your heart for the Christian just makes you happy. And maybe for the lost person, something in the heart resonates and says, I want that. And you hear something like this, come to me and I will give you rest. 
My burden is light. And it's, my yoke is easy to bear. Think about the lost man going through life every day busy, going through all the vices, all the worldly philosophies, all the relationships, all the carnality, and no fruit, no fruit, no fruit, misery, 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 losing all the money through all these things. And then one day they wake up and face the reality they're going to die without Christ. Their whole life has been miserable. They're weighed down. Nothing ever works. Everything always falls apart. Life's always bad. And hear this, you can have rest. The burden can be taken away. You can be delivered from all of that. You, you, you can have all of that erased. You just need to come to Christ. And for the Christian, sometimes we get caught up in the world because we live here and because we've got this carnal nature sometimes in us uh, that kind of fights with us. It's like we come to church, why am I here? You're here because you need to hear this. You can have rest in Christ. This is the answer, is to cling, to run to Him, hold on to Him, and find everything that your soul needs. Salvation, we are delivered from our burden and we are delivered from our bondage to the evil one. If you want that in an allegory, then you must read Pilgrim's Progress and see the burden come off of his back, roll down the hill into the sepulcher. That's the burden. And then if you want to see the deliverance from slavery, then follow him into the valley where he pulls out his sword and fights Apollyon. You are not my master, and you're not paying me no more. I've given my heart unto another. Number two, redemption. This is the third I will. It's still found in verse 6, and it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. It's the last part of verse 6, I will redeem. The word redeem has to do with purchase, has to do with being bought. Exodus fifteen thirteen. you have led in steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed, whom you have purchased, if you will. Psalm 74, 2, remember your congregation or remember your church which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Psalm 77, 15, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. Paul's remember and think upon that. Psalm 78, 35, they remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God, their Redeemer. Psalm 106, 10, He saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. If you want it from the New Testament, it sounds like this, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Thus, the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You, you are not your own. The world doesn't spin around you. You're not Mr. or Miss Universe. That's not it. It's not who you are. It's not your own. Why? Because as a Christian, you were bought with a price. Well, what do you want me to do? So glorify God in your body. It's not my life. It's not about me. I've been purchased by a master. And I'm going to live in a way to give him glory 
because he's a good master. To be redeemed, I do want to make a theological clarity here because these charismatics sometimes say this kind of nonsense and it infuriates me because it's so bad that in redemption that Christ had to pay to satisfy the demands of the devil. Listen very carefully. God paid the devil nothing for your redemption. God set the price. God fulfilled the price. And God fulfilled it for himself and his own glory. You say, well, give me an illustration. Okay, fine. Thank you for asking. The devil will receive the exact same amount that Pharaoh received. Nothing. Stripped of everything and drowned in the sea. That's all he got. Redemption is about God satisfying God in the purchase of his own people for his glory and for their good. So whatever theological word goes with that, I'm on that camp. That God did this for his own glory. And to be redeemed means to be adopted, which will be the next point in just a moment. But listen to these verses. Galatians 4.4, 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born under a woman to redeem those who are under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Redemption makes adoption a reality. Or in Titus 2, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, purify for himself a people who are zealous for good works. Redemption takes us from somewhere to somewhere. And don't miss the text and where we are. All of these things I'm preaching to you are I will. It's important to understand this. It's not I might. It's not I'm going to try. It's not there's a 50-50 shot at it. This is the sovereign God of the universe saying, I will do this. In salvation, I will deliver you from the burden of sin. You remember? You feel. Do you experience? Do you believe that the burden you bore is gone? Because God said He will Deliver. If you still have the burden, maybe you haven't been delivered. I, I will free you from slavery to the evil one. Who do you live for? Who tells you what to do every day? As a Christian, God delivered you. You don't have to say yes to the devil anymore. You don't have to obey anything he says anymore. You can look him square in the eye and say, it is written. He says, I will redeem you from slavery. Redeem you, purchase you to myself. Which leads us to adoption. You'll find it in verse 7. He says in verse 7, I will take you to be my people. I don't know a better word that I could hear today than that. Family. Mary Lou, our secretary, has said for 23 years that I've been here, family, everybody's got one. But when we talk about it horizontally, it means there's a problem. (laughs) There's always a problem with family. There's always one in every family, and there's seven in mine. But it's always these problems. And so when I read this line, I'm like, I had all this problem in my earthly family, but I have a new family. I have a new father. 
You see, I've got brothers and sisters in Christ because I've been adopted. Imagine! Can anybody here imagine the God of heaven would say, I want to adopt Charles? I want to adopt Mindy? I want to to adopt Travis? What's going on here? It's all grace. That God would adopt somebody like me? Are you kidding me? I get to be in the family of the king? Are you telling me that when I die, I inherit everything? Everything that belongs to Christ is yours in Christ Jesus. Amazing grace! How sweet the sound! I still can't comprehend it all. God told Abraham in Genesis, I'll establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after, throughout all of your generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you, to your offspring after you. Exodus 4.22, God warned Pharaoh at the beginning. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. And you, you know this word, but I have to just read it. But Jeremiah makes it so clear. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'm going to put my law within them. I'm going to write it on their hearts. And I'm going to be their God. And they're going to be my people. And no longer, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Blessed family of the adopted children of God. Forgiven, redeemed, delivered. What a gospel Moses has given us. To be relational, having God as our Father, Jesus as our Savior, and the Holy Spirit to dwell within us every day. You know, it's not just simply a kind act, adoption. You think about somebody in prison. I suppose it'd be a kind act if you went to prison. You think about a destitute, orphan, homeless. He's got no family. Takes to the life of crime, mischief, and gets arrested and he's in prison. And you, because you're compassionate and want to show pity, you find a way to break him out. You get him out of prison. You set him free. I mean, I guess it's something to be excited about. But the guy stands there alone. Got no job and no money. Got no house. And he got nowhere to go. And he's just stuck. Well, that's not all that good. I'm glad I'm out of prison, but now what do I do? It's not the gospel. In the gospel, you get set free from prison, but the Father takes you home. Gives you a place to live. Gives you a cupboard full of food. And provides everything you need for all of eternity that you'll never lack one good thing. So not only am I delivered, I've been adopted. What a great gospel. Galatians tells us, redeeming us from under the law, we may receive adoption. Ephesians says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And what was it in accordance with? It was in accordance with the purpose of his will. Seven wills. It's his will to adopt us. 
To be saved is to be adopted. We are heirs in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing that is in the heavenly places. Everything that heaven's got, He gives to the one He adopts. To be saved is to be delivered from the burden of sin. To be saved is to be delivered from slavery to the evil one. To be saved is to be redeemed. To be saved is to be adopted. And lastly, we have the promise. This is the sixth and seventh I will in verse 8. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. And again, how is this possible? I am the Lord. In a sense, Hebrews 12, the Lord appeared to Abraham. To your offspring, I will give you this land. In Exodus 6.1, where we find ourselves today, God raises his hand, if you will, and he says, this is what I will do. He can swear by no one greater, so he swears swears by himself. This is what I'll do. Ezekiel recounts this. And Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 20, verse 5, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, here it is, I am the Lord, your God. On that day I swore to them, I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I would searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. This promise of the future inheritance of God's people is all grace. Grace will bring them by its mighty acts. God, God will bring them through His providence. God will bring them through infinite wisdom. God will give them possession of this inheritance. Are you ready? We live in Azel. Half an acre costs God is going to give you the greatest land that has ever been, and it's free. It's free. The most glorious land possible costs you nothing. Your father just says, son, it's yours. I'll bring you into the land. Moses couldn't do it. That's why chapter 5 goes wrong for him, shows his inabilities. The conclusion must be Moses is not able. God is the true deliverer. And what does the prophet Isaiah say in Isaiah 48, 11? I will not give my glory unto another. If Moses could do it, it would detract from what God could do. But if Moses couldn't pull it off, all glory must go to God. This promise of salvation, this securing of the land, I would go back even before Moses and I would say, even Abraham understood this. This is from the very beginning. In Hebrews 11 again, this is what what they say of Abraham. He, He says, God says, I will bring you, that's what we're talking about, I will bring you into the land. 
That's the future promise, these last two I wills. I will bring you, Hebrews 11, to Abraham, I will bring you into the land, is greatly enlarged. And we look at the text, it says, by faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac, Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Why? For he was looking forward to the city. The city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham looking forward that one day I'll be brought into the glorious city. Church, would you not grasp that this morning? Where are you going? What are you inheriting? What lies before you? The closer you get, the more excitement should build that I'm almost home. Hey, you want to read the book of Revelation? Great. Come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God illumines the place. Its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations walk. The kings of the earth bring their glory into it. The gates are never shut by day, and there will never be night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations." That's what we're looking to. Well, if you're looking to your 401k, you've got a small view of the future. Well, if you're looking to retirement, like, man, when retirement finally comes, dude, that's a pathetic goal to be looking for. I'm looking for something that far succeeds retirement. <laughs> or I don't even know if I don't even have a 401k, or if I do, I don't know what it looks like, but it's got to be bigger than that. And here, I found it. There's a city whose builder and maker is God. And all of his children are going to arrive home. To be, delivered, to be saved is to be delivered from the burden of sin, from the slavery of the evil one. It's to be redeemed. It's to be adopted. And I wrote this line for my daughter, and she's not in here. My oldest daughter is, but my, I wrote this for my youngest daughter. And she's not in here because she's in the nursery. And we will arrive at our destination successfully. Heaven. Hallelujah! We're going to arrive successfully. Why? Because He will. 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 We're going to make it home. Whatever your circumstance is, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Don't turn away. Don't apostatize. You will make it home because you're so great. You know that's not right. You're going to make it home. Because your Father will get you there. Yeah, I know that sounded like the end, but that's not it. Point number three. Salvation is of the Lord. Jesus Christ, in my view of Exodus 6, is the I. When it comes to the burden, come to me. I will give you rest. When it comes to slavery, to him who loves us and has freed us talking about Christ. He freed us from our sins by His blood. Redemption, in Christ we have redemption through His blood. Adoption, Christ says, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. 2 Corinthians 6. The promise of heaven, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, 
unfading and reserved in heaven for you. Be reminded of this truth. Be reminded of this. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. So how do you respond? There's always a response when the truth is spoken. There's always a response when the truth is preached. Sadly, in verse 9, the response wasn't very good. The response, Moses, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you say God says because I'm not listening. Why are they not going to listen? You got a broken spirit and under harsh slavery. Not listening. And you tell me stuff like that, it only offends me. And I'm just going to talk bad about you and post stuff on you on Time Suck or Facebook or whatever you call it. And so that's their response. You think about that just for a moment. I don't belabor it long. Yeah, it's the same response happens here sometimes. The truth is spoke. Glorious things are said. It's like, dude, I've got things to do today. I'm busy. I'm busy. I got all this stuff. I got to mow my yard. I got to go to the lake. I got to, I got to do this. I got to do that. I sure as heck ain't coming back here tonight. I've had more than I could take already. I'm done. I've got a life to live. I'm not listening to you. You're some wacko from East Texas who thinks Jesus ought to be first. I'm not even listening. I've got things that are more important. This is what they said. They did not listen. Had a broken spirit. I wonder why it's broke. The spirit's broke. I wonder why. Maybe their lives are full of carnality. And it's so full of carnality, my ears are stopped up to the things of God. And my master, the devil and his world, you have so many things for me to do, I don't have time to listen to God anymore. And they won't listen. But what about you? Would you listen today? As a Christian, there's so much encouragement here. As a lost person, how can I make it any clearer? It's Christ. Look to Christ. The gospel, according to Moses, is good news. You can be relieved of your burden. You can be delivered from slavery. You can be redeemed. You can be adopted, and you can make it home to heaven. You say, well, how do I do that? By faith. Believe Christ. Just believe Christ. If you do, right now, believe Christ. Genuinely and truly, you believe Him. Everything changes. Next thing will happen, you'll be saying, Pastor, I need to be baptized. Pastor, I need to give my testimony that Christ has saved me. I'm going I'm to serve the church for the glory of God. Everything changes. Why? Because you believe Christ. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Brother Jeff, if you'll bring a song in closing this morning.